This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 174. Welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network, and I am your host, Riley Bowman. And Riley Bowman, what is a podcast you religiously listen to? Oh, uh, religiously would have to be, there's probably a couple, um, but definitely in there would be American Warrior Society. I love Mike Seeklander's podcast. Um, I also really enjoy uh, Kyle Lamb's, um, the VTAC. VTAC uh, team. Podcast, yeah. Okay. I'm Jacob uh, Paulson. Gunfighter cast. That's another good one. Ooh. Check that one out. And Jacob is the guy who was um, dropped on his head as a baby. That's not true. <laughs> no, it's not. A podcast I listen to religiously is the uh, Freakonomics podcast. Oh, yeah. I listened to that one a few times. I, I, not religiously, but I kind of will look at episodes every once in a while, you know, and like, oh, that looks interesting. Well, the and, truth be told, now that they've come out with this Tell Me Something I Don't Know podcast, I've, I've kind of stopped listening to Freakonomics. And I just listened to the Tell Me Something I Don't Know. Yeah. I haven't listened to that one yet. Ooh, you know another one that I oh I I don't miss this podcast, and that is uh, the way I heard it with Mike Rowe. Mm. That Mike Rowe. is that's a that's a cool that's a great podcast. Anyway, uh, short too. You know, it's you know little like seven to ten minute sound bites stories. Uh, anyway, it's a good one. Hey folks, welcome to today's episode. It is Friday, November 17th, uh, coming to you a couple days late. Uh, it's been kind of another one of those weeks. One of these days we might actually get around to, I don't know, sticking to a schedule or something, huh? There you go. <laughs> of course, next week's all messed up with a holiday. So, and I suspect many of you will be enjoying the holidays, I hope. Uh, maybe you'll be doing some traveling. Uh, I know I will be. Um, I'm leaving actually tomorrow for Idaho. I'll be working remotely next week. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, we'll have to do some podcasting too, perhaps. <laughs> perhaps. <laughs> what do you do? What are you up to, Jacob? Uh, we go. We go to family. We're, we're gonna go to some family ha- you know, house place. And I don't like to tell people where I'm going. When I get back, we'll talk all about the trip. But yeah, we'll be with family. Yeah, totally. Good stuff. Today's episode is brought to you by Guardian Nation. And this is a prime time. If you are not already a part of the tribe, a part of the Guardian Nation, now is a prime time because what do we got going on next week, Jacob? Well, Black Friday. Yeah. Our annual Black Friday sale. Uh, we actually did it for the first time last year. It was a huge hit. And uh, Black, uh, Guardian Nation members are the only ones that are able to get access to the big, crazy, awesome deals. We have a bunch of fantastic doorbusters. I mean, we're talking about some products that will just knock your socks off in terms of yeah. what, what you're going to be able to pick them up for price-wise. Do you want to tease just one of those products? Well, I think I already teased the $40 custom lowers. So how about... Hmm. How about a burst, burst fast fire two for fifty percent off? Yeah, cool. That's a that's a good one. I've got a fast fire, and I that's a nifty little little tiny red dot sight. So yeah, right on, nice. man. 
it's 50% off. I mean, almost virtually everything in certainly our uh, door busters. Uh, is everything at least 50% off or close to it? No, technically not. There's a rifle kit in there that's not quite 50% off. Ah, yeah, that's right. That, that That's a pretty, you know, big ticket item. Um, with not necessarily a lot of you know margin on it compared to maybe some you know not that <laughs> we generally sell everything you know reasonably uh, priced over over what it costs us to acquire the goods but uh, that one's definitely one that's that that's gonna be cool so we'll have a really great rifle kit together with a custom uh, lower part or lower receiver excuse me the rifle kit will come with a lower parts kit uh, your complete it'll have it'll be a complete AR upper. Um, you'll have your butt stock, buffer tube, all that. So it'll be a complete kit. All you got to do is add a lower receiver to it. And we've got those custom lowers for 40 bucks. So tons of other great stuff in as part of that Black Friday sale. We'll probably talk about it more uh, later. But like I said, today is sponsored by Guardian Nation. And to get in on that sale and check out everything available, go to guardiannation.com and consider joining today. And today's episode is also brought to you by Glock E-Trainer and by the Brave Response Appendix Holster. And so, that's all I got. Okay. Let's get into, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm going all like old school here, Jacob. Uh, normally, we, we do recording of podcast episodes and, you know, I have a lot of notes and things uh, electronically, uh, Google Doc or something, right? And today I have a stack of paper. <laughs> And uh, what this is, is I went ahead and, you know, killed a few trees and printed off uh, uh, some emails and messages that have come in through the podcast at concealedcarry.com email hotline. And because we thought we would take the opportunity opportunity to answer or address or discuss some of the questions and topics that have come through from our listeners on that podcast uh, hotline. So if you'd like to reach out to us, uh, there you go. Podcast at concealedcarry.com. Shoot us a message, something you want to hear about, question that you might have, something you'd like it, like to hear us uh, answer on, on air. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. And so I'm going to jump right into this first one, Jacob. Fire. And this, this came to us from Mike. And Mike says, and this was actually in response to episode 169. That was the that was a news episode where we talked about a good guy with a gun who stopped a child abduction. That was in I think mm. Las Vegas. Yeah, Nevada. Where the guy ran out and saw an abduction taking place, and he had his gun. And it, it was one of those two where he was like, "Oh, you know, I guess I'll put my gun on," you know. And he steps out, and bam, you know, he's thrust into the situation, uh, and he was able to stop. Uh, I think a little girl, or was it a little boy? I don't remember if it was a boy or girl, but I remember it was the estranged yeah. father trying to take the child. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, he he uh, emailed in in response to that episode where we talked about a couple of uh, other issues. And one of the other stories in that episode was about the former CEO of NPR who kind of did a – he flipped around a little bit, you know, as far as his viewpoints on gun control. And uh, so his response from Mike here is, I think this is the episode where you mentioned the former CEO of NPR that did 180, uh, a 180 on gun control. I think you also cited in this episode that gun sales have spiked since the end of 2016. I can say that I'm a liberal who up until January of this year was totally against guns, never touched a gun, only seen an actual gun up close once in my life. I now own a number of handguns and train on the range at least twice a month, but I do firmly believe in sensible gun control. So I believe I share the mindset of that CEO in terms of guns, and I'm certain I contributed to that spike in gun, gun ownership. Bravo, Mike. Uh, I, le- I 
lament the fact that we need guns to protect ourselves, but I also think that if we have a second amendment, some of these gun laws are ridiculous. It's no problem, or it's ridiculous that New York government wants to increase gun control after a terrorist truck killing, but I have no problem with sensible gun control. So thank you, Mike, for your uh, comments. Um, So while, you know, we might disagree a little bit, and I'll let you obviously respond, Jacob, but while we might disagree with Mike a little bit as far as, you know, when I, when I hear I have no problem with sense, sensible gun control, I, I, I mean, my next question will be like, well, what do you think is sensible gun control? And the devil's in the details, right? Um, and there's definitely some things that people would propose and say, well, this is sensible, but I myself personally would say, no, that's, that's not, that's not a good idea in my opinion, but I am freaking excited, Jacob, to hear from a guy that less than a year ago had never touched or fired or owned a gun in his life and now is completely opposite of that and that he owns uh, several guns, that he trains regularly, uh, that he's taking it serious. Uh, He didn't say right in here that he's carrying concealed, but uh, I don't know. I kind of... I don't know. He's listened to the concealed carry podcast. So maybe he is carrying concealed. And I mean, this is really cool to see that this person that Mike has made this personal journey from where he was to where he is now. And yes, he might be a little, um, you know, different in his overall politics from probably most gun owners and most listeners of this podcast. Uh, but you and I, Jacob, from the get go of this podcast, we've made a concerted effort to try to, to keep the bulk of politics out of it and really just focus on what I think is a unifying uh, idea. And that I, and that is the second amendment because whether you are Democrat or Republican, conservative or liberal uh, you know, white, black, Brown, yellow, green, whatever uh, I think the second amendment is a unifying thing that we all, number one, it's all of our right. You know, we all have that right to possess firearms and defend ourselves, I believe. And we can rally around that. And so, yes, on this podcast, uh, we definitely, I mean, we're focused on the guns and we're focused on self-defense and we're focused on the training. Um, So while Mike and I uh, might sit on opposite sides of the aisle, uh, as far as our votes are concerned, uh, with a lot of uh, different things, at least on the Second Amendment, we are unified. And that pumps me up. Yeah. I, I appreciate Mike your email as well, and and we try hard though we're not always super successful to uh, on this podcast and and not just and I'll say not just publicly like out loud when we're recording but at a very personal individual level I try hard not to generalize about political parties or people uh, I, we really try and talk about the issues right and that's why we use phrases like gun grabbers and we never at least we try never to say liberals or d- Democrats. Um, and, and it's because it's, you know, it's awesome people like you who ultimately we all understand or need to understand that this isn't about how we vote. It's about, you know, specific policy and issues and none of us fit into, you know, none of us are perfect square pegs to, to fit into square holes. Right. So we have to, you know, be willing to step outside the bounds a little bit of any given party and say, I feel this way or that way about this or that and the other thing. So anyway, I just really, I really appreciate that. I'll tell you an interesting thing about uh, our house. My wife and I sometimes laugh because on one hand, we're obviously very pro gun, but we also sometimes feel a little bit liberal because we're all about natural, organic, you know, tree hugging kind of stuff in this house. And so we always kind of laugh. It's like, well, it just depends on who's asking. Like if, you know, what we're talking about, if you know what, what you might think that we're into. Um, but here, here, I guess, you know, 
the real logical conclusion, I think, Mike, that you came to at some point, and I think I, I've met a lot of people who have, have come to this conclusion is, geez, like there's guns out there and everyone else got guns. Like, am I going to be the guy that doesn't have any? That doesn't sound like a real intelligent <laughs> way to protect me and my loved ones. So I guess I got to do something, whether I like it or not, whether I'm pumped and excited to be a gun owner or not, I inevitably am, am, am doing something because I, I feel an obligation to protect me and the people I love. And maybe that evolves over time into a passion or a love or uh, a sport or something else. But I appreciate that attitude and where that comes from. I think there's, that's very valuable, you know, and you mentioned sensible gun laws and rather you, you know, you remarked on that as well. Uh, as you said, you know, how, what do you, what do you consider sensible? I wrote a really long article yesterday and it hasn't published yet. Our editor has to go through it and make sure I didn't you know, spell anything wrong, but I wrote a really long article yesterday called the slippery slope argument. And basically the intent, you know, is that you got all these people out here who are all for common sense, smart, sensible gun legislation. And they're really tired of guys like me saying, oh, it's a slippery slope. If we if we, if we give them out a cookie, eventually they're going to take away all our guns. And you probably think, oh, geez, Jacob, like we're not trying to take away your guns, right? These are sensible gun laws. And so I wrote a whole article yesterday about, well, why do we think that these sensible, common sense gun laws will lead to confiscation? And uh, it'll publish here soon. So, Mike, I appreciate you kind of you know, putting that thought into my mind and, and giving me an opportunity to ponder on it more. So I could totally see the uh, title of today's episode uh, as uh, the episode where Jacob comes out of the closet as a liberal Democrat. <laughs> <laughs> what can I'm sorry. I say? We're, we're tree huggers. Like we love going to Boulder, Colorado, and eating at organic restaurants. Like I'm sorry. Like it's true. <laughs> Well, okay. I think to be fair, I mean, not that you don't uh, believe or support, uh, you know, this, but uh, you're, you're you're really kind of almost forced into that to some degree. I mean, you're you're uh, a good husband. Sure. I, I, I mean, but you, I, like with to, my wife, the driving force behind some of those things. That's totally true. She's a nutritional therapist. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm on board for sure. Just in the same way that she's on board with owning guns and shooting bad guys. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, yeah, yeah. Our 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 grocery bills and our meal menus couldn't probably be any more different between your household and mine. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I, I dare say I would starve to death. In uh, no, actually, I've 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 very much enjoyed your wife's cooking. Um, I just would hate to pay for it. So <laughs> anyway, um, you know, so. I appreciate you know what you what you had to say there and offer Jacob. Uh, this is, like I said, I mean, yeah, you know, actually, this was a thought I was having while you were while you were speaking, and, and I was actually just encouraged to, I think, uh, reach out to our listeners and say, hey, I'd love to hear from some of our listeners their thoughts on this, as far as you know, do we see the Second Amendment and the right to own and carry. Uh, bear arms, you know, right, the right to bear arms and self-defense and all that as, as a unifying uh, topic or idea or uh, principle, or is it really a us versus them approach? I mean, I, I'm, I'm just curious. I know this could be very um, controversial or even 
you know, a little bit of a debate, but uh, I'd like to kind of hear from, from some, some listeners where, you know, where you guys are at. I mean, do you feel like, you know, can this be a big tent as far as can we unite around protecting and fighting for the second amendment? And uh, I, I definitely think it is, but I'd love to hear from you. So let me know your thoughts. Yeah. And, and, and the request there is not, um, what do you, do we all agree on what it means? I think it's more of a, you know, the fact that we believe in it at all, is that a unifying thing? Right. Yeah, totally. So, you know, it, it is a challenge, by the way, on the podcast. I know you know this, Jacob, and I know this, and probably listeners would, would understand that we do try to stay away from identifying or, or really focusing on partisan politics uh, because we don't think that's relevant to, I mean, it's, I'm on whatever side fights for and protects and defends the Second Amendment. Uh, as it relates to what we do on this podcast. Uh, now, unfortunately, most of the time that means, I mean, let's be real here. The Democratic Party is generally not, you know, on board with the Second Amendment the way that we think it ought to be. And so, yeah, there's definitely times where it's just, it's hard not to to single them out and say, you know, because that's, that's where a lot of the legislative updates come from is, well, the Democrats proposed this gun control bill and the Republicans in the House, you know, proposed this pro-gun bill. Um, but there there are some a few exceptions. Uh, anyway, so we appreciate you listening, uh, Mike and others. And uh, let's get on now to a uh, comment or uh, actually a dang near a, a novel this guy wrote. Uh, just kidding, Brad. Uh, Brad writes in. Riley and Jacob, (laughs) my journey into the gun community has only recently begun. My dad and I went to the range on Father's Day this year, and the bug has bitten. So we have another story where someone has kind of recently come into this community, and and man, I'm just excited. My lovely bride was totally on board when I expressed interest in the sport, and we have purchased a fair share since June. While reading the latest NRA shooting illustrated, a, a column by Sheriff Jim Watson talks about wiring a master light switch in your master bedroom to control all of the lights in your house. We recently built a house and I wasn't aware of the idea of lighting up your target at the time. So needless to say, the master switch was not installed. While being an EE, electrical engineer, I believe, and my dad being in the electronics field his whole career, I am a tech junkie by nature. I hear all about how using flashlights on your home defense gun will help you see your target in the dark, and you guys do your fair share of, of uh, pick of the weeks with flash flashlights. A problem I see is that the bad guy then knows where you are by following the light source. That is true. If I had a way to turn on every light in the house without the bad guy seeing me, wouldn't that be a good idea? Again, being the tech junkie, we did install the Lutron casita light dimmer slash switches throughout the house after moving in this allows me and this is really cool jacob this allows me to control all of my lights through my cell phone ipad alexa siri and even a remote control after reading the nra article it dawned on me that while i don't have the master switch i can program my extra remote to control select lights throughout the main living space while leaving the bedrooms dark in my head, this lights up the bad guy without letting my immediate position be known to him. The remote has double-sided tape and is now stuck to the top of my quick access safe. My cell phone charger is also right there, so I can simply tell Siri, Hey Siri, turn on the main lights, and it will light up the main rooms if my hands are busy. The system doesn't require an electrical engineering degree to install. It is as simple as changing a light switch, and they come with decent instructions for those with more involved wiring. 
such as a th- as three or four-way switches. If you can download an app, connect something to Wi-Fi, and use a screwdriver, you know everything you need to know to get this going. I hope this helps someone out there in this great new community. I'm glad I'm finally I have finally entered into. Thanks for the informative podcast every week, Brad. Told you it was a novel, <laughs> but it's it's good stuff, right? Yep. So, Brad, I mean, you're you're dead on. Is there a disadvantage to me walking around with a weapon-mounted light or a flashlight and just shining it around, looking, you know, trying to illuminate areas and stuff? Yeah, there, debatably, there is. I mean, that there's a lot to be said for light tactics. Uh, believe it or not, uh, it sounds like a relatively simple thing to stick a stick a light on a gun or hold a flashlight, walk around and you know, light up an area and see if I got a target, and if so, you know, illuminate that target and you know. Get, get shots on target. We talked, we had two episodes where we just talked about lights and lasers, but what we didn't get into in those episodes was a discussion about actual tactics because using a light has very specific you know, strategy or technique to it above and beyond just turn it on and shine it around. Um, and, and that's one of the big reasons why. So, so could we bypass all this complicated potential tactic question by just lighting up the whole house? Yeah. I, uh, on the surface, I'd say sounds like a good idea. Yeah, you know, it's this is a really interesting thing to consider. And, and to be honest, I had never really thought about it uh, like this before, uh, because we we when we talk about uh, low light conditions, which you know, I mean, there's there are break-ins that we share on the uh, justified segment of the podcast each week. You know, where someone breaks into a home, and, and so often those those do occur at night. And so low light situations are a very real possibility uh, for everyday uh, gun carrying Americans. And, you know, this is an interesting concept to consider, like with the technology that we have today and with products like what he mentioned here in his email to us, uh, you know, we could do things that we've never been able to before do. So really fascinating and something interesting to consider. So is there an advantage to keeping the bedrooms dark? And hitting a switch on a whether it's on a remote or on a phone or whatever, or or using Siri uh, on your phone or Alexa if you're uh, using an Amazon device, and you know, and and lighting up the main part of the house but keeping the bedrooms dark. And I can see that that might not be a bad idea. Now, it is a, re- a very real, um, I guess, downside. You know, it's, it's certainly a possibility that. When using a, a weapon-mounted light or a handheld light, you know that's right there. You're you're holding it, and maybe you're also holding your gun. Regardless, it's the same thing. Uh, yes, there is that possibility that someone now, as I, you have now identified where you are located. One important thing to understand about use of of a light, the, those tactics, is that typically, uh, what you know, this is typical. Of course, it doesn't fit every situation, but typically, what I would teach someone learning to use a flashlight or weapon-mounted light is to illuminate uh, an area, a room, whatever, uh, quickly. Scan what you need to see. Light goes off, and then you move. So you're take you're using the dark to your advantage to move, and you should do that. Uh, ideally, if if possible, you should move as soon as that light goes off, because you know now if someone goes, wait, the light was there and now the light's gone, but I'm going to shoot there because that's where I saw the light. Well, now you you've actually in, in actuality you've moved your position, and so the th- in theory they are firing where you no longer are, and now you're free to light up from a different position uh, if you still need to to identify and, and you your target and use your weapon. Now, one advantage that you having a, a 
really bright light in your position shining towards the threat is that it can be blinding and it can be disorienting depending on how bright that light is. And while a, a threat, an adversary might get a clue that, Hey, they're in that general direction. At the same time, they're being blinded by this big bright orb of light. And then if you are only using that very briefly, the light goes off and you instantly move. They're not, you know, they're going to be hard pressed to find where you are. So with proper application of, of low light and flashlight techniques, it can be very effective and, and not necessarily compromise you or your position, but it is definitely something you're always aware of. So this, this concept is interesting because definitely hitting the main lights on, well, great. Now I can see perhaps where a threat is. And in probably some cases that might be enough for them to skedaddle you know, holy crap, all the lights just kicked on and, you know, they're probably not expecting that. And so they might just take that as a cue to, I better get out now. And so I can see that as being a, you know, a a pro, you know, a definite advantage to a a system set up like this. So I I really appreciate Brad for writing this in and sharing this. You know, I I think I was kind of aware of the technology, but had ever really considered or realized that it's probably actually not that difficult to set up and, and use something like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, great, great points. I I don't know that I have a lot to add to that. So I I, I will add simply this that I uh, if, if that could also be configured for exterior lights, I think there's op- opportunities there to mm. maybe I have like you know one, two, and three. Right, number one I throw my exterior lights. Number two I throw interior lights, except for bedrooms and maybe some other select things depending on strategy and layout. And then maybe three it's like I want everything on. So uh, yeah, cool. Yeah, actually, that's really good thoughts there, too. And it, it sounds like the system is, you know, it's basically replacing the switches, right? So mm-hmm. um, I, I, from what I've seen, and I used to be in the home building business, and I attended some conferences and things where they talked about, uh, you know, these smart homes and things and some of the technology available. And I definitely know the technology is out there as far as you could have that kind of, that, that level of control. And I suspect that what Brad uh, suggested or mentioned, probably you can do as well. So a uh, really good idea to have something set up for exterior lights, main lights in the home, not including the bedrooms, and then maybe something to kick everything on. So, which would be helpful in uh, uh, maybe just a, a simple evacuation, right? If you yeah, had it's a, not always self defense. I think there's other applications for wanting my lights on very quickly. Yeah, yeah. If you got a fire or some other reason, you got to get out of the house quickly, and you still have electricity. Bam! Throw everything on. You know, gather the kids, gather the family, whatever, and get out. And, and meanwhile, you're uh, you know, hopefully illuminating your way. So cool stuff. I really enjoyed that email from Brad. All right. Here's another one. And, and uh, let's see. This is from Jose. And he asked this. When you and Jacob were addressing holsters on the podcast, the sneaky Pete never came up. Is this a bad <laughs> idea? It seems to me in this day and age of tech geek who wears everything on his belt, the concept of the sneaky Pete would be would pretty much go unnoticed. Your thoughts? I'm going to hand that off to you, Jacob. Uh, man, I don't like the sneaky Pete. So for those who are unaware, I guess I should describe it. The sneaky Pete is, uh, and, and there's competitors that are similar and call different things, but sneaky Pete, I think, has got the biggest brand that does this. And essentially, you're talking about a holster that is meant to look like maybe like a cell phone case, like on, on the waist, right? Like clipped onto my belt and someone might be inclined to look then and say, Oh, that's just his cell phone in that case. And uh, you know, 
yeah, he's good to go. So obviously, it, it's really only made for smaller, you know, guns. You don't they don't make, you know, sneaky peats for full size. Well, probably they do. They probably do make sneaky peats for full size 1911s. But it, it would look really silly, right? Like no one ever would look at that and think that's your cell phone. Uh, it would just be too big. So I think generally people who use a sneaky peat holster are are dealing with subcompact guns and smaller smaller firearms. Um, yeah. So I, I got two thoughts. One would be I legitimately don't think that the vast majority of people would see it and and write it off and say that's a cell phone for a couple of reasons. One, the shape is not like a cell phone. Uh, two, it's bigger than than I think most cell phones are. But here's the biggest reason is that means you now cannot touch your cell phone. If I have the Sneaky <laughs> Pete holster on and I want people to be under the guise of believing that that's my cell phone and I reach into my pants pocket and pull up my phone and make a phone call, I just told you that's not a cell phone over there on my hip. It must be something else unless you're inclined to believe I carry around two cell phones. Um, and, and I don't know of like – Maybe I'm naive. Maybe there's other things people carry around in big pouches on their belts all the time, but I I don't think so. I, I mean, maybe that's a really big like Leatherman. No, not really. Like it, I just can't think of anything else. You know that you're really trying to suggest that that is other than a cell phone. And and if you're trying to keep up the appearance that that is a cell phone, then you can't touch your actual cell phone, uh, pull it out of of your pocket or anywhere else. Uh, so, so that is my biggest issue is that even if you can make the argument that that can be passed off as a cell phone case, which I think is becoming less and less likely all the time, um, you then can't use your real cell phone. Uh, another issue I, th- I think I have is that I don't think it's as clothing universal as most holsters are. Um, that sneaky Pete holster, uh, you know, and maybe you're inclined to say, well, when I'm wearing a t-shirt or something, it's, you know, that's going over the top of my sneaky Pete holster. So it doesn't really matter. In that case, it's like an OWB holster and who cares? So I don't know what advantage there is to having something that I got to pull up my shirt and I got to like fold open the, the, the pouch, right. To get to the gun. Um, but you know, while that might make look okay, sort of like it belongs with one outfit, maybe a shirt and tie, for example, you go put on a different outfit and now it looks kind of out of place. So because, because it's a hide in plain sight kind of system, it, it doesn't seem to fit very well with anything you could be wearing. I think it's a little bit more, you know, seems to fit with this particular kind of dress and not with that. So those are probably be the majority of my thoughts on sneaky Pete. I'm not, I'm not a huge fan, but I'm inclined to say if it works for you and and you're getting away with it, then Hey, awesome. Yeah. So I think part of the answer to the question uh, is made clear just by going to their website and you'll see right there on the website that they actually have a cell phone holster uh, product, and it you know it's made much in the same way and style as their Sneaky Pete you know gun holsters. But just by seeing them side by side, it it, it tells you right there everything you need to know. I mean, these Sneaky Pete holsters are way fat. They're way fatter, way wider. Much more wide, more wide than much wider. There we go. Uh, than my, I have the iPhone Seven Plus, which is a massive phone, and the Sneaky Pete holsters are still wider than that. And then they're not even quite as tall, so the proportions are off. And you see the Sneaky Pete cell phone holster, and like I said, I mean, I guess let's see. Choose my options. Uh, iPhone Seven Plus. Okay, yeah. So I can imagine a holster for my phone that is just a little bit bigger than my, my phone that I'm holding in my hand right now. And I could tell you it's not, 
you know, there's your answer. It doesn't look the same as an actual cell phone case. Uh, they're, I, I don't know how to describe them. They, they, they just look odd. If you're caught wearing one of these, you're definitely going to be pegged as being a, a nerd or whatever, which is fine. Hey, I love nerds. I'm a nerd myself. Uh, but the other thing is that, or you're going to be pegged as, wait, that's a little odd and that must be something else. Now, Sneaky Pete just released some new products they call the Covert Series. And these are Sneaky Pete uh, cases, holsters, that uh, are designed to not try to look or mimic a cell phone case, but something else. So one of them here is labeled on the outside, Power Pack. <laughs> I don't know about you, Jacob, but have you ever seen someone carrying on their waist a one of those external battery charger you know, packs, whatever, for, no, your, for your phone? Never. <laughs> power pack. I got I got my power pack right here. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Forget it. Uh, here's another one. Uh outdoor g- gear. This one's colored green. Uh I'm just carrying around this thing with my outdoor gear in it. <laughs> uh, is, here's one. It's just not uh, and I, I I will I will say I'm sorry to cut you off. I will say that you know, maybe the guys here is that people just don't pay that much attention. Well, people just don't pay that much attention. Like people don't won't think twice. And it's true. Yeah. The average person is not going to like stare at your belt and be like, "Huh, I don't think that's a cell phone," you know. But but they but but I think you'd be surprised by the number of people who would think something's off. Like that doesn't quite look right. Like you know, it's just there's kind of a little flag in the brain. And now now you're under the microscope. They're watching you closer. And the second you reach in your pocket and pull out a phone, it's like ah. Yeah. Uh, now they do have one, uh, actually two of them here. One is uh, kind of a, a blue colored uh, holster, and it's got kind of a you know medical or EMS symbol on it, so implying it's you know some sort of medical gear. And then there's a, a second one that's red with a you know kind of like your Red Cross symbol on it, first aid. Uh, that that I can almost buy actually, like the red first aid looking pouch thing. Uh, okay, sure, you know, I mean, you don't necessarily see that a lot. Uh, you know, someone walking around with a big old first aid kit on their belt. But it, I think it's a little bit more believable than some of these other things. But here's the other thing. Besides making fun of the, uh, uh, you know, the style or the, the method of carry here, uh, I think it does have some inherent problems. Drawing being one of those, I, I really don't like how you have to, I mean, you just can't get a good firing grip on the gun coming out of this. Uh, some of these, if you look real close, the, the trigger is almost like directly, you know, once you open up that flap, uh, if you're not careful about how you get that firing grip, it, it could be a problem. I mean, so consider that. And then they mostly, mostly these are made for the LCP, LCP2, Smith & Wesson Bodyguard 380, which are all very small, you know, pocket guns, but they make one for the LC9. Holy cow. The LC9 is a big gun to be, you know, calling a cell phone. So they make it a Glock for Glock 19s. They do? Yeah. I did not see that. Holy cow. Yeah, Glock 19s here on the list. Oh, yeah. Here um, my God. Yeah. I mean, the, the, so, so yeah, I, I maybe if you're a pocket pistol kind of person anyway. I, so, I, I guess, you know, the short answer would be I'm, I, for one, am glad that Sneaky Pete holsters exist, right? Because I believe in abundance. I, I believe that the more different kinds of ways people can carry guns, the better. And I do believe that there are going to be some people out there who love this product and it works for them. And to them, I say, like, awesome. I'm glad you're able to carry around a gun all the time. 
But if we're if we're putting like all of the holster products on the universe in the universe on on like a, a line where I'm putting like the ones I hate the most over on the left and the ones I love the most on the right, Sneaky Pete's pretty dang far on the left. Yeah, agreed. Let's move on. Let's see here. By the way, I hope that was helpful, uh, Jose. Next up, we've got from John. And I think this brings up some interesting points to consider, Jacob. I've noticed carrying at the 430 position makes it hard to get the wallet out of my back pocket. Uh, Also, as I stand in line, I turn so it looks like I'm looking over the magazine rack or display items to make it harder to sneak up on me. Uh, Really enjoy your podcasts. Thanks. So uh, pretty simple here, but so he, you know, to, to address that first thing, he says, uh, if he's carrying in the kind of the 430 position, that it it makes it a little harder for someone to actually get the wallet out of his back pocket. So I assume he, if you're right-handed, John, and you're carrying 430, meaning it's just kind of behind your right hip bone, uh, and then you're carrying your wallet also in that back right pocket, uh, I that totally makes sense. I, I totally get that. Um, and maybe that's not a bad idea, at least as far as um, creating a, another barrier uh, for someone, you know, preventing them from being able to pickpocket you or whatever. I, that can kind of make sense. But let's go back, Jacob, to recently we, we shared stories about individuals who typically were being robbed or something and how they got their guns taken from them. And one of the big takeaways from that episode was that there's definitely some things you can do regardless of how and where you carry that can make that more of a issue, more challenging for the bad guy to take your gun from you. But appendix carry has, you know, is, has a lot of strong points in that regard because compared to most other carry positions, it's pretty well protected. You've got good retention, good control over that weapon. Uh, it's not interfering with, with a whole lot else, uh, other than maybe your junk. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, so that's something else here to think about. Let's suppose that someone hold, you know, they, they, they tell you stick them up, right? And so you, you raise your hands, they're holding a weapon on you or whatever. And you decide, yeah, I'm not going to chance it here because I'm not going to try to draw on a drawn gun. And what do they do? Well, they start filling around, right? And where do most people carry their wallets? Yeah, back pocket, right? So where do they go? They go to your back pocket and wait, oh, there's a gun there you know, keep me from being able to access that wallet easily. And so now you just invited another opportunity for someone to, to find or locate and take away your gun and your wallet, um, putting you at greater risk uh, throughout that encounter. So that's one thing I would kind of throw out there. Second thing that I would ask you to consider, and then I'd love to hear your thoughts, Jacob, is that uh, when I really started taking concealed carry seriously and thinking about all the situations I might find myself in and also thinking about interactions with law enforcement, now, I am a law enforcement officer myself, but, you know, I have to also still be uh, thinking about that. And I I really gave some deep thought as to where I carry my my identification. Uh, so, I mean, I'm, I do have to, uh, if I'm carrying concealed, um, even as a law enforcement officer here in Colorado, I, I do have a concealed carry permit. So, I carry that on my person, right? And I, it's in my wallet. I've got my gun on me, whatever, right? And let's suppose I have an interaction with another law enforcement officer where I need to identify myself. And this might typically come as part of like a traffic stop or something. And, you know, I really thought hard about this. And I'm a big proponent of of telling, you know, of informing law enforcement that I am armed when I interact with them, 
particularly during a traffic stop. And the way I do that personally, and Jacob has a different approach, but the way I do that is by simply presenting my permit as part of, as I, you know, I hand over my other documentation to him, my insurance, registration for the vehicle, my driver's license. I just append to that my concealed handgun permit. And it's very easy, you know, non-abrasive, non-endangering, you know, way of informing them that I am likely armed and carrying concealed. And so the problem I saw with this is that if I was carrying my identification in my back right pocket where my gun was near that that vicinity, then I felt like that was a little bit compromising as far as being able to, you know, like if, let's just suppose I went the route of, I informed the officer, maybe he chose to ask me because he suspected for some, some reason, you know, are you, do you sir, do you have any weapons or whatever in the vehicle? Uh, yes, officer, I do. It's, you know, in a holster, my, you know, four thirty, four o'clock position back, right hip, whatever. Right. Uh, and then uh, now he's going to ask me for my identification and where's my identification. It's right back there. Well, he's not going to be happy with me, you know, reaching back there. I mean, some cops will, will perhaps, but there are definitely some that would be like, well, okay, I'm not going to have you reach back there for that. So I have switched to carrying my wallet in my back left pocket or my, uh, cargo pocket. If I'm wearing, if I happen to be wearing cargo, you know, uh, pants so that it's kind of, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm t- making, uh, you know, kind of taking obvious steps here to try to distance the wallet and identification away from where my gun might be, if that makes sense. So I know long answer. Now your take Jacob. Yeah, I feel differently in most of those things. Um, so dealing with law enforcement, for example, I, I never get my wallet out. I never get my permit out. I never do any of those things. Uh, you know, I started my concealed carry journey when I lived in Utah, and Utah law does not require that a person has to have their permit with them in order to carry concealed. So I did not even have my permit with me. I purposefully left it home all the time, and that was perfectly legal in Utah. Now, here in Colorado, the law does require I have my my physical permit on me if I'm carrying concealed, and so so I do. But uh, you know, for whatever reason, for those years and years of leaving my permanent home and many, 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 many experiences of getting pulled over by law enforcement, both in Utah and Colorado, I developed the, the methodology of not getting anything out. I leave my hands on the wheel. I say, officer, I'm a concealed carry permit holder and I'm armed. How do you want me to proceed? And they never, ever, ever have asked me to reach for my wallet and get it out. They've never been frustrated by the fact that I haven't presented them with my ID and I've never had any drama come from that. Um, so that, that's just that's just me. That's how I operate. I don't I don't have any I don't have any issue there. I'm laughing right now, Jacob, because this says the man who's been arrested two times. It's true. But <laughs> you no, never had any drama, time, really. <laughs> not, ne- never having anything to do with a gun. And both those times, I'll add, were before I was of legal age to have a permit or a gun. So they're they're. They're non-relevant <laughs> stories. I know, but <laughs> you know, I just have to—I I, I just have to pick on you a little bit because you know you're giving advice. The man that's been arrested in traffic. Well, maybe know. the guy who's been arrested a few times knows a few things about this. <laughs> so, and you're—you're you're, now you're the one with the badge, though you don't do a lot of traffic patrols. So, so okay, I'm sorry. The first time I got arrested, I was 15. I was on a bike. The second time I got arrested, I was 17. And I had a paintball gun in the car and it had nothing to do with the arrest. So anyway, get that out of the way. Um, but here, here, here's what I'm trying to say. Like officers have never had any issue 
when when I say I'm armed, they say, "Got it, great." You know, they'll ask where the gun is, and and you know, they, they sometimes they'll say, "Well, where's your wallet or where's your identification?" I'll say, "Oh, it's right next to the gun." Like, no problem. They pull out a notebook, they write my name down, and they go run it. You know, my, what's your name? What's your birthday? And they're good. They're fine with that. I've never that's never led me into any drama. But it's really not the point of the, of, of the question. So let me also say this: sure. one other potential benefit of having the wallet next to the gun in the waistband is that it potentially can help conceal the gun. And I say that because, you know, having that gun right around four or four thirty in the in in the in the in the back there on the waistline, which is my normal traditional carry position uh, and has been for about a decade, uh, having the gun right there does create a bit of a bulge on the pant line. And if my wallet is right there, then it's almost like the bulge in the pant line is explained by the wallet. If the wallet is not there, it's more notice, noticeable and, and perhaps a little bit more like visual cue, like, well, what what's creating that bulge? And now it depends a little bit on holster and size of gun and all that stuff. So I'm not saying that the wallet is a perfect way to mask you know, your gun over there. I'm saying that it, to some degree might help. And and I, I inherently do believe that. I don't think it's a big deal, but I do inherently believe that having my wallet right next to that gun does help a little bit with concealment. Um, so I've, I've never really had any issue there. I, I, I'm perfectly happy having my wallet in the back right pocket and my gun right next to it. One last thought I'll add, and that would be this, that potentially... And maybe that doesn't matter that my wallet's in the pocket, but let's say that I'm in a, I'm in a confrontation where someone asked me to reach for my wallet and like, hey, get your wallet out. I want your money. Being able to you know, feign that I'm going for, for the wallet and potentially going for the gun instead, depending on the circumstances. And if I think the threat is deadly, blah, 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 that might be an, adva- an advantage uh, again, you know, in addition to. And a person might say, yeah, but does, your wallet doesn't need to be there in order for you to feign that you're going for a wallet and get the gun. Yeah, potentially true. But it gives me the option to say, okay, my hand's here. Do I want to get the wallet or do I want to get the gun? Um, so anyway, long story short, I'm inclined to say if, if it's hard to get the wallet in and out of the pocket, maybe move the gun or put the wallet in a different pocket. But as far as, is it a good thing or bad thing to have the wallet in the pocket next to the gun? I, that's what I've always done. It's never, never been an issue for me. Well, and I can just about guarantee that the method I follow will always work. Your method yeah, probably works. <laughs> always works. It's n- can you guarantee that? Guarantee what? That it would always work, that you would never have a problem with a law enforcement officer following the way you do it. Absolutely. I can guarantee it. If you put your hands on the wheel and you say, how would you like me to proceed? Philando Castillo? Did he do what I'm suggesting? (laughs) Not exactly. But he did (laughs) did not. Okay, hold on. Hold on. You just called me Philando Castillo. So hold on. (laughs) Hold on. Back up the truck and let me talk. I'm enjoying this debate. Back up the truck. Let me make this perfectly clear. This is what I do. Officer comes to the car. I have the window down, maybe a little bit, maybe a lot. That, that's up to you. My hands are in the wheel. Do you know why I pulled you over? Officer, before we proceed, I want to let you know I have a concealed handgun permit and I'm armed. How would you like me to proceed? The officer will every single time, and I assure you, I've got plenty of experience to back this up. They will ask, where is the firearm? It's on, it's on my hip, about three, four o'clock. From there, you don't know what you're going to get. Officer might say, hey, get out of the car. Officer might say, hold on, I'm going to go call him backup. Officer might say, great, don't point it at me. Officer might say, is it a Glock? I love Glocks. Could be a lot of things. But this is what they're not going to say. Great, hand it over. Reach for it, please. Right? They're not going to do that. So then it might be followed up with something like, great, can you get me your ID, your driver's license, your insurance? And they may do this before I've been disarmed, or they might first disarm me and then ask for that information. Right? But at some point or another, what they're not going to do is ask me to reach for the gun. I've never once had an officer say, uh, great. Uh, well, can you grab your driver's license for me? And, and that's just never happened. And, 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 and if they did, what would I do? I'd say, well, 
my driver's license in my wallet. My wallet's right next to my gun. I don't feel very comfortable reaching over there. To which they'd say something like, okay, thanks for letting me know that, right? They'd probably be really grateful I informed them. And it does come up. And whether I'm the one who brings it up, that's rarely happened. But what more often happens, officer says, okay, great. You know, where, where is your identification? It's in my wallet. My wallet's right next to my gun. Okay, got it. And then they either will pull out the notepad, write down my info and be glad and, and happy for it and not give a crap that I didn't get the wallet out. Or they'll disarm me first and then have me get my wallet out. Either way, that's not a problem for me. I have no issue. It's never led me wrong. And I have no reason to possibly believe it could lead a person wrong. Philander Castile, on the other hand, smoking <laughs> weed, officer pulls him over, uh, you know, asks him if he knows why he got pulled over. Philander Castile tells him he has a permit. Officer says, that's great, dandy, good for you, awesome. Philander Castile then proceeds to start to reach into some empty unknown space. The officer doesn't know what he's reaching for. It's now believed he might have been reaching for his wallet and his permit. Officer yells at him to stop. Don't don't reach for it. Don't reach for it. Don't reach for it. Repeatedly, 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 repeatedly. Philanica still continues to reach for whatever it is he's reaching for, and then he gets shot. So I am not endorsing the Philanica Steele method. <laughs> I am ind- endorsing simply that I let the officer make the decisions about what's going to happen. And that includes me not getting the wallet out in advance. And some people say, well, Jacob, what's wrong with getting the wallet out in advance? And here's where I poke at your method, Riley. The potential concern is officer's been following me for a while, rides, runs my plate number. From my plate number, my I'm on the registration, pulls up my driving record and knows I have a permit before the lights even come on and I get pulled over. Officer, knowing that I have a permit, who knows what the attitude of the officer is, once he pulls me over, he sees me doing the little lean and reaching around to, to my, you know, my rear side and he thinks, wait, is that dude reaching for his gun right now? So now if my wallet is in the glove box or if my wallet is somewhere that's in the console or in my cargo pocket like Riley, maybe then it's not a big deal. But I certainly don't want to run the risk that the officer could be sitting behind me watching me and thinking I'm reaching for a gun right now. So I'm inclined to just roll down the window, put my hands on the steering wheel and wait. Yeah. Speaking from someone that actually has law enforcement experience, uh, some of the, some of what you say is potentially valid. But uh, if you're prepared for traffic stops, whether you follow my method or your method, uh, you, you should have no problem whatsoever. And frankly, I, I believe in my method because keep in mind, Jacob, that many people that um, may f- have this type of interaction with a law enforcement officer are not as experienced or as practiced as you, mostly because they don't break the law driving as much as you do. Uh, but, <laughs> but, you know, so... You ask people to, um, the more you ask people to speak and uh, explain things in a, that's a stressful in, uh, encounter for most individuals, uh, the more likely they are to stumble, to make mistakes, unless they're well-versed and well-practiced. Now, we've talked on the podcast about rehearsing you know, what you're going to say and how you're going to say it and how you're going to approach it. And that is true and important no matter which of these methods you follow. Now, I... I, I Strongly believe in the way I approach it. You strongly believe in the way you approach it. We present it here as here's some options. Here's the facts. Here's the things to consider. Go decide what works best for you. I just think sure. mine is right. <laughs> I think mine is right too. I don't think I don't think yours is horrible. By the way, like I would never tell someone like, oh, do not do what Riley said. Um, I, I just I just prefer. My methodology. I prefer being asked to step out of the vehicle and being disarmed. I prefer to be asked to do anything versus doing anything on my own. I'm inclined to allow the officer to dictate what happens versus me dictating 
what happens. Hey, but I don't, one... I don't think your system is horrible. I'm merely saying that I don't think mine is horrible either. And, and I, I, I have to get angry anytime you call me out as Philando Castile. What the crap is that about? <laughs> I, I wasn't saying you were Philando Castile. You're the one reaching out for a wallet and pulling stuff out. So if anyone's doing any reaching anywhere, before. Philando Castile style, before. it's you. Before. I, when those lights go on, I, I, I'm getting it out as I, as the vehicle's still moving. And not only that, but there are times too where I drive and I actually, you know, I get in the vehicle and I actually move, you know, I take my wallet out and I set it somewhere where it's accessible and, and I can reach without requiring a lot of effort. And to that point as well, have your registration and insurance because you're, you know, you're going to need to get that as well. Have these sorts of things in a location where it's easily accessible, requires little effort to do so, requires little moving within the vehicle and raising suspicion. A little movement is not going to raise suspicion. Um, it, but but really ex, ex, uh, ex, accented movement will, 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 of course. And regardless, you know, so I will have everything out and basically ready to go or at least within reach, either in the side door or in the uh, visor or, you know, something like that. And have my my hands on the steering wheel by the time that officer even gets his vehicle stopped and is getting out of the vehicle. And if you'll follow it that way, you, you won't have any problem. Uh, and like I said, there's no, no problem with the way Jacob approaches it. However, two other things to consider. For those of you that are in a state, and I think Utah might be the only one that doesn't... Re- I could be wrong. I, I don't know. But Utah is unique in not requiring you to have your permit on your person. Most states require you to have it with you along with a secondary form of ID, like a driver's license. And so the, the caution, even if I, I mean, I have a Utah permit, I carry it with me uh, because, well, I don't really need it other than when I go to Nevada, right? And Nevada is going to want to see that I have it. I think the danger of taking this approach of, you know, getting used to not having it with you, you go to a state that's going to want to see that permit uh, and you forget it. Number two, or their statute in that state is, which you should follow the statutes of the states that you visit, that you need to have that identification with you. Number two is uh, that, actually, I forgot number two. <laughs> uh, well, that's, that, that's a big one though right there, I think. Yeah, no, that's, that's valid. I mean, I keep my Utah permit in the car, you know. Um, sure. And, and when I was in Utah, I left it at home. But if I traveled, I'd grab it. Today, I, I leave it in the car all the time. So that if yeah. I'm traveling, I can grab it, you know, and take it with me when we go to Nevada or Washington. Oh, the other I remember one. number two. Right. Number two is if you if you always make a point, such as how I described, to inform the officer that you are a permit holder or that you're carrying concealed or that you have a weapon in the vehicle. And, and by the way, regardless of if I'm carrying it concealed on my person or secured in a lockbox, unloaded, or regardless of how that weapon is inside the vehicle, I still handle it the same way, meaning I, I hand over my permit together with everything else. Um, you know, cause that's just simply my way, my subtle way without me opening my mouth and saying something dumb of, mm, yeah, there's a good chance there's a gun in this car, right? It communicates it without any words. Uh, but, but here's the other thing. There are states that require you to inform LEOs and that's another risk that you run right there. Yeah, no, that, that's a, and that's an important thing to know when you're traveling. There's not as many yeah. as you would think. And in fact, I'm trying to pull up the list and I'll have it here in about no, 30 seconds. It's but, not that many, but but that's even a greater da- danger because it's too easy, to, I think, to get sure. complacent with that part of the statute. And uh, so just, uh, just a heads up, you know. Alaska, Texas, Hawaii, Oklahoma, Nebraska, Arkansas, Louisiana, Michigan, Ohio, Maine, Rhode Island, North Carolina, South Carolina. 
So here, one, one yeah. last thought about the wallet thing. And my gosh, whoever asked this question, I'm sorry that we have gone so <laughs> like off, off topic from your actual original question was what? Like I can't get my wallet out when I have my gun on. I'm, I'm sorry. But one, one last thought would be this. For those of you who keep your permit in your wallet, and I, I do too, because I'm in a state where that's required, and many of you probably are, as, as Riley suggested, I, I will say that I think there is some, um, and maybe I'm being overly paranoid, but I think there is some wisdom to putting that permit somewhere in that wallet where it's not going to be readily, quickly accessed, found, or discovered. I agree with uh, that. I don't, I don't think you want to be somewhere where you know, you're getting out a credit card or you're getting out your driver's license at the, at the grocery counter you know, to write a check or whatever situation you might be in where you have your wallet out and someone can just look over and see, oh, dude's got a concealed carry permit. And yeah. or you know, you've been mugged and someone takes your wallet and they're rifling through it to grab out cash and credit cards like, oh, this guy's got a, oh, I see you've got a gun right now. So I think generally you know, there's just a good little pro tip there that if you have that permit on you, you probably want to put it somewhere it's a little bit more buried and less likely to be quickly discovered or spotted in your wallet. Yeah. No, that's actually really fair. Uh, and yeah, so thank you for, for that, uh, bringing that into the discussion as well. Well, I'm afraid that's all the time we have for these uh, questions and answers for today's episode. And Yes, I. Uh, who are we even responding to there? <laughs> You're the one who got oh, all the paper, John. John, I uh, was asking about. Uh, yeah, that was his question. Four thirty position makes it hard to get the wallet out out of the back pocket. Yeah, actually, you know what? That reminds me too. That's uh, that is something that I. You know, when I used to carry IWB in like the four o'clock position, even uh, with my wallet in my back right pocket, uh, it was something I was always aware of that I, I had to be careful reaching into, you know, and getting that wallet without exposing the gun. Sure. Yeah. It's probably yeah. like a habit that I don't realize that I have or something. Sure. Sure. I, I yeah. The, the more you do it, it's going to become, you know, muscle memory, but it is something that you need to be kind of careful of. I mean, imagine as you're reaching for that wallet, someone's standing behind you, like the, the gal in the uh, convenience store that took the gun off of the guy as he was trying to pay for his goods. Right. And, uh, you know, he already has wallet out of, in his hand. And so that's like a prime, I mean, frankly, this could have been totally how it happened that he went for his wallet, maybe exposed his gun or he was printing, you know, and she became aware of that. And as his right hand, his drawing hand, his shooting hand is occupied with the wallet and getting the wallet or handing over the wallet or whatever, bam, you know, like, and he's, he's kind of at a vulnerable position in time. Um, Anyway, I I just had that thought. I'm like, oh yeah, kind of makes sense. So... Typically on these uh, midweek or now end of the week episodes, we have uh, picks of the week. Uh, We will get to that in just a second. Uh, A reminder that uh, today's episode is brought to you by Glock E-Trainer, as well as Guardian Nation, by the way. But Glock E-Trainer is another sponsor of today's episode. This is a simple little tool, inexpensive too, very reasonable price. What is it like? 25 bucks or something, Jacob? 24.44 plus shipping. With shipping, you're less than 30. Yeah. So, I mean, this is a no-brainer. If you own a Glock pistol and you're looking for an easy, affordable, simple way of enhancing your dry fire training, check out the Glock E-Trainer. No tools required. Just slip it on your Glock pistol. There's a, there's two different sizes for your standard-sized Glocks and your kind of fatter, larger-framed Glocks. We're working on a model coming soon that'll fit 43s and 42s. But it allows you to run drills, uh, work on trigger manipulation, and much more without having to rack the slide each time to reset the trigger after each trigger press. Really cool, simple, cheap, 
I mean, great, a great training tool. Check it out at glockeTrainer.com. And today's episode is also brought to you by the Brave Response Appendix Holster, which just this week officially launched and is available now to the public. It is fully machine washable, works with any clothes or pants or dress style. You can carry a spare mag. And it is this model of the Brave Response Holster is optimized for appendix carry with a small, super comfortable profile, zero cant, and a breathable comfortable holster pocket that brave response is famous for and is patented fits any semi-automatic pistol basically as well as most or well, many j frame sized or small five shot revolvers it's a really great holster concealedcarry.com forward slash bra appendix br appendix brave response appendix br bra appendix <laughs> however you want to say it man <laughs> anyway so I hope that you'll check out uh, and support our sponsors, guardianation.com, glockeetrainer.com, and concealedcarry.com forward slash BR Appendix. Picks of the week. Jacob, you have a pick? Yeah, I was going to talk about um, volunteering. Can that be my pick of the week? You know, we're coming up sure. on, on Thanksgiving and Christmas holidays. There's a lot of people in need this time. You know, this, this time of year, especially, their need is more pronounced. Um, and so, you know, look for opportunities in your community to volunteer. Uh, there might be places you can just donate. I mean, as easy as dropping off uh, a meal or a turkey or a gift card or some cash. But there's also a lot of organizations out there who just need time. They need you to come and serve the meal or build the thing or do the whatever. And so it's a lot of need, you know, in our communities nationwide this time of year. And so look for opportunities to volunteer. And if you have young family with kids, my gosh, how valuable is it to get those kids out and let them also do some volunteering uh, or, or do a donation or whatever it might be. So it's a wonderful way for kids to grow as well. Nice. Cool. No, that's a, that's a great message actually. So I'm glad you shared that. And my pick this week is a really simple one, <laughs> and that is a little microfiber cleaning cloth. You know, that's so it is pretty typical, you know, uh, to see in the packaging along with uh, anytime you buy optics, binoculars, scopes, rifle scopes, whatever. A lot of times they come with these little microfiber cloths. And I'll have to look up the specific link because uh, there is a specific one that I really, really, really like. Uh, but, you know, really having at least just a, some, some sort of lens cleaning, glass cleaning, whatever, uh, microfiber cloth with you, particularly when you go to the range, having it in your range bag, have something in your vehicle is just so handy. I find myself using these all the time. And whether it's cleaning the screen on my laptop, uh, the dash on my car, uh, my glasses when I'm, you know, sunglasses, or I actually do wear prescription glasses. All, a lot of times I have contacts in or cleaning optics on your gun when you go to the range. Uh, so lots of purposes. They're super available. Like you see them all over the place now, very affordable and they just work really well. It's handy to have around. So simple little microfiber cloth. I can't remember the brand and the exact one, but I do have this one that is just, I mean, I don't know what it is about it, but it frankly works better than any other microfiber cloth I've found. So I'll see if I can find that specific link for it. Cause I'm pretty sure I got it on Amazon and uh, have that ready for you in the show notes. So with that, we've got coming up next week, Thanksgiving. We really sincerely hope everyone has a wonderful, happy, uh, safe Thanksgiving. And, uh, you know, wish wish the best for everyone. So with that, Jacob and Riley here at the Concealed Carry Podcast signing off. A reminder for you to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care.
reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.